and welcome to a new episode of Black Future Doctor, a podcast dedicated to showcasing the experiences of Black doctoral students in the UK. I'm Nina, your host, and today I have with me Letitia Osborne, who is studying for a PhD in psychology at the University of Bath. Hi, Letitia. It's great to have you with me here today. It's even better to be with you, Nina. So first, can you tell me a bit more about yourself and the subject of your PhD? I can. Obviously, you've introduced me so nicely. So I'm Letitia. I am, exactly as you said, studying for a PhD in psychology at the University of Bath. And my thesis looks at, broadly, Black student experiences in higher education and more specifically looking at Black students' sense of identity and belonging in higher education. I typically use qualitative methods, so looking at focus groups and interviews, but one of the things that I've been really excited about is that I've been able to feed back my findings to the powers that be at the institutions and being able to see what they think in terms of recommendations going forward. So that's also built into my thesis so far, which I'm really pumped about. Brilliant, we love to hear it. So can you tell me um, a bit about when you first considered to pursue a PhD and kind of what made you interested in the topic? I can. I'm going to be totally honest. I never wanted to do a PhD. I was one of those people. And when I finished my master's, I did it in gender at SOAS in London, which is where I'm from. But my master's supervisor was really, really enthusiastic about me doing a PhD. And I was just not interested whatsoever I really (laughs) wanted at that stage to leave and make some money and that's exactly what I did and so I did some equality diversity and inclusion consultancy work first and it was really through that and often I'd be sent out to higher education clients and black Asian minority ethnic students of color there are many different phrases we could use but we won't won't get into that Um, but students of (laughs) color would be coming up to me (laughs) yeah not today not for this episode Uh, but they would be coming up to me saying you know I'm so glad you're here I want to talk about x or y and I would have to say you know I'm only here for a day or half a day I'm external to the institution and so I was thinking about what could be done for students of colour and black students specifically, because we see all the different inequalities that they face in higher education. So I thought, what can really be done? And so when I was looking for new roles, I looked at a PhD and it was very much almost like a job advert instead of me going for the traditional route. So Mm -hmm. that was really what made me interested was just experience, my own experience, but more so the experiences of students who I would meet in my own you know, external capacity and I couldn't help them. And so I was really interested in looking at how how I could help, really. Yeah, that's amazing. That's inspiring. (laughs) So yeah, after you saw the kind of job advert, uh, can you tell me a bit more about how you navigated the application process? (laughs) Again, yeah, I'm being totally honest, Nina. I... I applied for it as if it was a job. It was already fully funded. It had supervisors, three supervisors attached to it. I didn't know any of them, of course, because I I didn't do psychology before this stage, which I felt very cheeky about. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I applied sincerely to the spec and the criteria and felt that I could uh, fit it quite well. And I used the fact that I didn't have a psychology background as a strength in my application. I talked a lot about the strength of interdisciplinary research. And that was one of my biggest strengths as an applicant. And I was very, very clear with uh, them in the application and then in the interview 
that I was not somebody who was going to give them a neat and tidy traditional psychology thesis. And if they were interested in that, they should not pick me um, because I was clearly very audacious and confident and still am, (laughs) to be honest. And I just wanted to be picked for the right reasons. And I wanted to sell myself based on the skills that I had rather than pretend I had something else, really. And I think that's really important because... I feel like we present this picture of academia and PhDs as like you do your undergrad in this topic, you do your master's in this topic, you go into the PhD, you go into academia. And I think the reality is it's a lot different from that. You can get into it in so many different ways. And I think actually having real world experience, having job experience is really important with a PhD as well. And it gives you like a unique perspective that can be really helpful and I think is like undervalued absolutely I I I 100% agree with that I think that the experience that I've had has greatly informed my PhD and my thesis and and the write-up stage that I'm in Um, and I also think you can just see academia for what it is and it's difficult to do that if you've gone straight through to really evaluate where you are and I often find that my experience of the application process is very, very different to other people's. And for those Mm -hmm. who don't know whether they want to do a PhD or don't know what a PhD is, which personally, I didn't really know what a PhD was until Mm -hmm. I started my own. I think that my own experience of applying to it like a job, often I see people kind of relieved really relieved that there are there's more than one way to get into the the PhD process you don't have to have a a big proposal you don't have to have contacted supervisors if that's not the route that you want to go down there are alternatives and I I find people breathing heavy sighs of of relief when they hear that yeah definitely so the supervisors were kind of attached to the PhD already did you meet up with them or talk to them before you applied or was that all afterwards That's a good question. Uh, I think with my first supervisor, I believe we had an informal talk before I really got to grips with getting the application together because I just wanted to know upfront whether it was even worth applying if I didn't have a psychology background. And she was very open and honest about that and said, you know, that's not something that we are, it's not totally essential it's desirable but it's not essential we're not looking for a traditional psychology background necessarily and then when I did submit my application I think we had another call just about the process and the interview process going forward but I didn't do I did I did obviously the typical cheeky google search but I didn't do that much uh research on them because I just I at the time was like what's the likelihood that I'm gonna get this <laughs> really with, with without the background and so I didn't do too much it was only after I went for interview that I started to be like okay it's really important to know now that you know what they are about and what their research interests are and I got a better feel for them in the room and so I did more research thereafter really yeah Top tip, have a bit of a stalk of your supervisors. Just a cheeky one, only a cheeky one. (laughs) Brilliant. Okay. So I know you've kind of told us the subject of your PhD, but can you tell me a little bit more about what you've been doing in your research? Because I know you're in your third year or fourth year. Fourth, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Pandemic has thrown out what years mean, (laughs) but yes, um, I can. Yeah, I early on did some observations of the university open days just to get a feel for what it looked like and what uh, students' first impressions are on campus. And it was sort of a pilot study that 
probably won't make it into my thesis but it was really useful at the time for me to understand the processes and mm-hmm. to speak to students on the day and to get their initial responses and reactions and it was in that observation that a black student came up to me actually she was part of the open day and asked me what it's really like at Bath for a black girl um, and that was her question mm-hmm. and so I kind of knew at that point that I was going down the right route in terms of looking at black students because the brief in the kind of job ad was underrepresented students and then I had the freedom to choose which student population I wanted to focus on and so I just started off by asking the honest question uh, of who is the least represented and it happens to be black students Mm -hmm. and so that experience on the open day really made me think okay something's going on here and this is really interesting and so from that point onwards my supervisors and I started to think about what interviews would look like and sound like what types of questions would elicit the best answers and so I started quite early earlier than I felt ready for I'll say that I want to be honest uh earlier than I felt ready for I started to do interviews but then once I'd done the first one, I realised I was actually very much ready for that. Most of our kind of meetings were about just strengthening the interview guide where you just list different questions and, and pilot those. Mm-hmm. I piloted that as well with different groups and different students just to make sure it really was right for them. And so I started to interviews quite early. And then in my second year, I started to do focus groups with, with Black students, uh, mostly because I noticed in the interviews that black students really wanted and really had a had placed value on having a space where they could be with other black students. And so the focus groups were useful for me to understand what their strategies were in terms of uh, navigating the university campus. But also I found, which was really nice for me to observe, that it served as a safe space for them to come and speak honestly about their experiences. And often after the focus group they remain friends which was just really a nice touch a nice extra added thing that I wasn't anticipating and many things that happened in the actual research process of interviews and focus groups took me by surprise the feeling the emotion in the room took me by surprise often and so it's been a really nice journey for me to understand what how important research can be to participants as well yeah definitely brilliant okay so Now that you're kind of coming to the end of your PhD, I've got a couple of questions that I guess are looking back over your experience. Yeah. (laughs) So what would you say you've enjoyed the most about your PhD? Without a doubt, talking to people. Mm -hmm. The the data collection phase has by far been my favourite thing. I also got to be a visiting scholar at Columbia University in New York for eight weeks or two months. That was one of the best things I've done and I again never imagined I'd be able to do that it was just a chance meeting with a professor out there who came to visit our department and gave a talk and knew my supervisor and he said on the day you know it'd be great if you could come out to New York and just understand how we uh, research inequality and things and get an understanding of our approaches and I was just like yeah yeah that'll be so cute of course and I didn't actually think it would happen (laughs) Um, and that was in June when he came and did his talk and then in October I was flying out and it was just a wild time and I enjoyed it so much because it's just a case of when will you get this chance again definitely so I just 
my advice to people would just be to grab those opportunities with both hands and run with them because it so many random things can happen in your PhD journey that I never factored in a two months trip to New York when I was applying for this you know it was just one of those things uh, so I really enjoy the data collection and just the the level of opportunity that is there throughout your PhD to do some really cool things to be honest and so those are the the highlights of my PhD journey so far yeah Great. And what would you say is the biggest lesson you've learned so far? Oh, man, many. (laughs) But uh, the biggest one of the biggest lessons, which I speak about my friends so often that they're probably tired of me saying, but I think that one of the biggest things is I wasn't prepared for the emotional journey that you go on with yourself. Mm-hmm. because I was prepared to feel the struggle of, you know, trying to be a better writer, trying to be a better researcher. I, I knew that that would be hard, of course. I don't think a PhD is easy, otherwise everyone would have one. But I wasn't prepared for the emotional journey of the feelings of failure, the feeling that you're not quite enough or you're not doing enough. And I think that's part of the PhD process. You're so focused on the next thing. You don't often get moments to take stock of how much you've done or how much you've improved or how much you have dedicated to this. You often are just thinking, what's next? What's next? What do I do next? And so I think the biggest lesson that I've learned is just to try to savor the moment a little bit more and to really take stock of where I am and to be not so focused on a destination, but really thinking about the journey, how much I've developed as a person, as a researcher, as a writer. And I think that that's a hard lesson to learn and mm-hmm. a hard thing to prepare for when people ask me, you know, what should I prepare for? You, it's really hard to know what types of things are going to come up for you because it's really individual. Some people do amazingly well and don't have very many issues. Most people, I would say, there is some trials and tribulations of the self of thinking, you know, mm-hmm. these things are coming up for me. And we know the stats as well about PhD students' mental health in general. And so things are likely to come up. And so one of the biggest lessons I've learned is really just seeking help as much as I can rather than trying to take it all on on my own. Yeah. And I think that's really important advice because as a first year, you know, I've been asking everyone, oh, what should I do to prepare and brace myself? And mm-hmm. I feel like the reality is there are so many things you can prepare for. You, you can't right. prepare for everything. Right. And I think towards the end, now that I'm there, I'm, I'm also asking those questions of the people who finished of, you know, what should I prepare for for my Viva? And they're literally like, you can't, you know, you can, sure, you can read your thesis, you can know it cover to cover, but you just don't know what the questions are going to be. You don't know what the examiners are going to want to focus on. And so very much for the first year, just accepting that you you won't know everything because I think a lot of us who go into the PhD are used to, you know, we're high achievers often, we're confident in our ability. And I think part of the PhD process undoes some of that. And I was fortunate enough to have my lead supervisor tell me that in the first meeting, (laughs) we sat down and she said, okay, I'm going to be honest with you. This process is going to undo you. And I just didn't understand what she, what she could possibly mean. But now that now that I've been undone, I get I get what she's talking about because it it's you against yourself, you know. And that's really difficult because you think, okay, yes, I'm gonna get this done by then. I'm gonna get my literature review written by this point. I'm gonna get my first and second study done by then. That's fine and it's great. Have the plan, but 
the thing you can't account for is obviously things don't always go to plan but not just that it's how you're going to feel in throughout the process how you know what's going to come up is is hard to predict so my biggest advice is just please try and be kind to yourself I know that's super generic and everybody says that but particularly PhD where you have those feelings of when will I get to the end or when will I write this first paper or whatever just remember you're trying to do this and especially now you're trying to do this in a pandemic it's 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 not going to be a super smooth journey it's hard it is really hard that is the truth a PhD is not an easy thing to do and so the fact that you're doing it and you're trying every day is enough please let that be enough I need you as my motivational speaker (laughs) whenever I've got any doubt have you call you up be like can you tell me that thing again (laughs) yeah so you've kind of covered it and I think it's really important but just to check again and stuff so when you've been having these challenges Mm. what's motivated you to keep going despite it all you know something the honest answer is I'm stubborn (laughs) I am so stubborn Um, and I think most people when you get to a certain point in your PhD you just think I've come too far now but the biggest thing that helps and motivates me is to actually speak to people who have no idea what the PhD process is Mm -hmm. because I think that they just have a different view and a different perspective they're not so close to it that when you start saying things like, you know, I haven't written my chapter and it's not good enough and I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that. They're just kind of blinking at you, <laughs> not understanding why this is so deep, you know, and trying to figure out, okay, you haven't written it. You can write it next week, yeah. you know, and sometimes it's those simple, really simple responses and you're like, oh yeah, I can, which sounds ridiculous. But when you're in that frenzied, panicked moment of this isn't working having someone be like okay but it can work next week is so nice just so that you don't freak out and you're not just really being hard on yourself or too harsh so the things that motivate me also are another piece of advice again unsolicited (laughs) but uh the first page of my phd notebook in my first year i wrote all the reasons i was doing this Mm. and i would highly recommend it because it's the thing i look back on the most like that that notebook would be, I don't know, thrown somewhere down if I didn't write that page. That page is crucial. So coming back to why are you even here? Why did you say yes to this? Why did you put together the proposal? Why did you apply for it in the first place? What's key, What was the thing? What's your why? That's really useful to be able to look back when you just think this is rubbish and I'm not doing it. And let me tell you something, you will think that. You will at some point think, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do it. No, I'm quitting. I'm I'm getting out of here. And one of the ways that, again, my family, my dad in particular, when I had those moments, and I still do now, of I don't want to do this anymore, he calls my bluff and he'll be like, okay, so quit. Just quit. (laughs) (laughs) And that, again, because it's someone who's outside the PhD, I'm like, of course I can't quit. So it's like, okay, so you want to do this. You know, it's very much a Regina George Mean Girls moment, like, oh, you you agree, you think you're really pretty. It's very much that. And so that's really helpful. And I go back to that first page when he says that and think, okay, here are the reasons why I don't want to quit. This is why this is so important. This is what's going to keep me going. And I think for most of us, you really, really care about this. For those in your second and third and fourth and beyond years, you might forget, but you really do care. You put together a proposal, you applied for this, you're putting yourself through the PhD process because you care, because you want to. And if you don't, don't do it. You know, if it gets to a point where you don't want to do that, that's also okay. That's also okay. But for the most part, if you can't say you're ready to quit, 
it's because you really want to do this even when it's hard brilliant gosh I feel motivated (laughs) I'm gonna go right down (laughs) in my notebook (laughs) but I think that's really really important advice and just to kind of end even though you've already given us so much great advice already oh I hope so (laughs) (laughs) what's one piece of advice you'd give to other black people considering pursuing a PhD I think that for black students or black people considering it it's really important to look at your institution Mm -hmm. and look at your supervisors and get a get a feel for where you would slot in so for me I looked at the University of Bath in the department I knew ahead of time I'd be the only black person in that department now for some people that would have been a deal breaker which would also be fair but that wasn't a deal breaker for me for for what I wanted to do at that time. So I would just say to to know exactly what you're getting into. And also don't let anyone discourage you from doing this. Don't let the lack of representation discourage you from doing it. Because you can find, I promise you, you can. Um, you can find other support networks, a few that are on the top of my mind, or the African Caribbean Research Collective, which I'm part of and you're part mm-hmm. of, Nina. And the West African Researchers Collective, there are other ways that you can have that community if that's what you want. So you don't have to say, OK, I, I won't go there because there aren't enough black students. I promise you, you can find other ways of connecting. The other piece of advice is to. Oh, my gosh, there's so many. But <laughs> the other piece of advice is really just to have the strength in yourself and the understanding in yourself of what you're coming up against, because I think at times throughout my journey it's felt isolating in some moments and to be able to lean on people who you care about which is the importance of those types of communities is is invaluable it will be so so helpful for you to be able to tap into that and also to find mentors I'm a, a fierce advocate of mentors and I've benefited greatly from particularly black women mentors in academia throughout this this journey who've just been kind of uh, a shoulder to lean on or to cry on or to to understand a listening ear a sounding board they've been so so important and so reaching out to those people even before you you get your PhD or even before you start to apply for PhDs Mm. I would start to reach out to people and just have start building those connections really so the advice is pretty much the same thing it's just to understand that you can reach out to people and have that community because more often than not you will need somebody just to to talk to and to relate to Um, and that doesn't mean that they have to be black women black men black non-binary people but it could be kind of I'm part of also women of women of color academics groups and things like that which I find helpful so it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody who is black if that's not what you're thinking but just somebody who you can trust somebody Mm -hmm. who you feel you can talk to outside of your supervisors because they can't be all things to you all the time yeah perfect all right. Thank you so much, Letitia, for chatting with me. That was amazing. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> for those of you listening, I'm curious about your thoughts with this episode. As someone who entered a PhD straight from undergrad and master's, I found it really interesting to hear about Letitia's non-traditional journey. And I want to hear about yours. Remember to tag any comments on social media with the hashtag BlackFutureDoctor and to follow us on Twitter at the same name. You're also very welcome to leave a review. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. I'll see you all then.